From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. Hey, welcome to Parkway Church. I say this almost every week, but I'm actually super stoked that you're with us today, tuning in, whether it's online or through the radio or podcast, however it is, thanks for uh, tuning in today. If you're brand new, a quick shout out to you. Thank you for being with us. And we have a small gift just to say thanks for tuning in. If you go to weareparkway.com slash connect, um, we're going to send you that quick Eve gift. There's a little form you got to fill out there. Uh, to everybody, hey, listen, like our Facebook page, subscribe to us on YouTube, and just keep um, up to date with what's going on. You can check us out on Instagram as well. Um, since we've been online much of this season. Uh, Before we get into the Word today, uh, I just want to give you a quick update to where we are uh, regarding opening our physical building for physical gatherings. So take a look at this. Hey, I just want to take a brief moment of time and let you know what our plan is as a church to reopen our physical building for our gatherings. No doubt you've heard recent announcements from our Ontario government um, allowing places of worship to meet with some restrictions. And so we've uh, we've been thinking through this process for a long time about what it would look like for us to reopen. And so as a leadership team, we kind of put together a a three-phase process to to reopen and what they would look like in each phase. So I just want to hopefully kind of give you some clear guidelines as to what our process is. Now this, let me say this off the bat, this is not... Um, concrete. This is not set in stone. This is just a fluid way of us um, moving forward, guiding us moving forward. Um, So here we go. Phase one um, in the three-phase process uh, is when the government begins to allow places of worship to gather at capacities, um, which we see today, uh, 30% capacity or maybe a little bit more. Um, This is where we find ourselves in right now. This is the place that we're in right now. And in this phase, we'll see a few things on the screen there. Um, In this phase, we're going to begin to prepare our building for physical gatherings. We're not yet going to meet, but we're gonna prepare our building. As you know, we're still working on the the worship center. Uh, We're upgrading some tech in our sound booth so that we can live stream while having physical gatherings. But we also wanna make sure our structure's in place to to have people in the building, make sure we prepare our teams, get the proper signage, floor markers, adjust the seating, and so on. So this is where we begin to prepare our building, but we're gonna continue to have our online experiences. We still wanna have community and we still wanna meet, so we're still gonna be here online on Sundays. Um, We're also in this phase um, going to keep all of our groups and programming online, so youth and life groups are gonna remain online uh, for this uh, next uh, foreseeable future. Um, And the building will be used for only internal use only. Um, We want to do something though, we thought what is a creative way that as the government begins to lift some restrictions that we can have a sense of community and we thought about encouraging localized watch parties and what I mean by that is depending on the level of restriction, right now it's at uh, 10 people. we kind of get together in those in those groups where we're comfortable, as long as we're physical, uh, distant, and we and we watch and we worship together. Instead of just in our home, maybe we invite someone over. Maybe we have a, a little gathering in our backyard. Again, ten or less at this at this stage, and we just watch and worship together. So that's phase one. That's the phase we find ourselves in. Um, but phase two is when the government begins to to allow for more capacity 
in those gatherings. And this is when we begin to open the building for physical gatherings. This is when we begin to, to put things in place. I hope that we get here sooner than later. Um, but this is where we, we open the building for physical gatherings. We're going to still continue to have our online worship services um, and experiences. Uh, but we're going to provide probably a couple worship experience times um, for us to meet because we won't have full capacity in the building we'll have to stagger some time so we're going to have a 9 a.m experience for you and a 10 or sorry an 11 a.m experience for you uh, to choose from to allow people to in, into the building um, for both of these experiences you're going to have to rsvp online there's probably going to be a form on our website that you can you can select each sunday to let us know which service you're coming um, when you come in, we'll, we'll check off that you're here, and, and that way we can make, make sure that we're monitoring our space and, and those physical distancing measures uh, properly. Um, during this phase, um, the cafe, the nursery, and the kids' ministry are going to re remain closed um, until we get more uh, regulations from the government. But we are going to, again, encourage those localized watch parties. I'm hoping by, by then, when the government lifts some more restrictions, that we can have uh, bigger gatherings, maybe of about 20 or 25 people, where we just watch uh, together. Um, when we start to meet physically in the building, we've put some uh, safety measures in place. Um, just to, to show you that one, we care about your safety, we care about um, those that are most vulnerable in our community. So a few things that we're going to do is one, we're going to have a completely touchless experience. So we're going to uh, uh, prop open the doors, uh, we're not going to pass an offering plate, but we'll have a, a box at the back somewhere where you can give. Um, we're going to make sure that our, our volunteers, we're not going to shake your hand, we're going to give you probably a wave and a smile, a completely touchless experience. Um, it, we're going to recommend face masks. If the government requires it, all of our volunteers are going to have face masks because we care about those um, that are most vulnerable. Um, we are also going to have special seating arrangement um, and we're going to make sure that the traffic is flowing in the main doors and out the, the, the north doors um, just as we come in and out of the, out of the building. Um, finally, we're going to make sure that we're frequently cleaning and disinfecting high-touch areas, making sure our building is completely sanitized um, throughout those experiences and throughout the week. Um, the final phase is when we begin to transition back to, to the new norm. This is when we begin to reopen our building for physical gatherings, ministries and events, um, adhering to those government guidelines. Our Sunday uh, experiences, we're going to start to increase the capacity of those with wisdom. We're going to continue to have our online experience. That is going to continue, hopefully, even beyond all of this. Um, and then we may still have RSVPing for those uh, Sunday experiences. We're not sure at that point, but that may still continue, depend, depending. Um, our cafe and our nursery and our kids' ministry in this phase will begin to open, but that's pending those government regulations and restrictions. So that's our three-phase plan. Right now we're in phase one, and you can partner with us in this by number one, praying for us as we make the decisions moving forward, but secondly is playing your part as we begin to meet physically in this building. Thank you. So that is where we are at. We're presently in, like I said, phase one. It's not set in stone, it's fluid. We are excited to be able to get back together, um, but we're just exercising uh, wisdom and caution. Plus we gotta finish the updates in the building here, but it's gonna be exciting. So pray with us and get ready to play your part. Um, and we'll be gathering together soon. I wanna pray and then we're gonna get into the word. I wanna pray for this transition. I wanna pray for us as we hear the word today. And I want to pray for you. So let's just bow our heads wherever you're tuning in or however you're tuning in. Let's just bow our heads together. Father, we just commit this moment in time that we have as we look to your word. 
I ask in the name of Jesus that you would open everyone's heart, whoever's tuning in today, listening to this, watching this, God, that you would open their heart to what you want to say and how you want to speak through your word today. Be with me. I pray that you'd help me to speak this text with clarity and, and understanding. Lord, I pray that it would not fall on deaf ears, but, but like your word says, we would be transformed and changed, God, um, as, we, as we hear and respond. Lord, we know um, with this uh, possible transition coming up that we can, we can physically meet soon. I just pray that you continue to give us as a leadership uh, wisdom and guidance, Lord, and all of us as, as a dream team, as people of Parkway, God, let us just play our part moving forward. God, we're excited. Lord, I pray that you'd um, uh, lead, but I also pray you'd protect, Father God. We want to make sure that as we come together, as much as we're excited to do so, that we come together um, in, a, in, a, in a safe way, in a way that is, that is honoring to those, God, that are vulnerable, Lord, and just, and just is, is wise. Lord, we bless you, God. Above all else, we pray that through the word today, um, through the transition time, Lord, that you're just honored, that you're glorified by Parkway Church in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we are in uh, Mark chapter 2. If you've got a Bible, you go to Mark chapter 2, uh, verses 18 to 22. I thought it'd be good for me to be in the, in the worship center, even though the background's not the greatest because we're getting uh, some updates done on our stage. But I just thought, hey, maybe may a, a little bit closer to home for those of you that are watching. Um, we're in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 2, verses 18 to 22. So you grab a Bible, you can turn there. Uh, we've been walking through the book of Mark, just stopping really where... Uh, we feel the Spirit is leading us to stop and share. Um, I'm enjoying it. I hope you are. And interestingly enough, I really love how God works because the text, the story, the part of the story that we're looking at today really kind of speaks to the situation that we're in as we begin to, to think about gathering again and what church is going to look like. Um, so I'm going to read, um, but here's the message in one sentence. If you could sum it up in one sentence, this is what it would be. Embracing change means welcoming growth. Embracing change means welcoming growth. So here it is, Mark chapter 2, starting verse 18. It says, Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is, it, how is it that John's disciples and the Pharisees and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. You know, one of the biggest objections I get from my kids is, how come you can, but I can't? Or how come I have to, but you don't have to? Right? If you have kids, you know what I'm talking about, grandkids, nieces, nephews, you get it. That's what kids are often saying. Most often this comes from my oldest son, and it usually comes uh, around or centers around food. He's like his dad, he likes to eat, he likes food, and sometimes... He's six years old. He can match me in his eating, which is crazy. I, I, I understand what my parents used to say to me. They used to say, where does it all go? Do you have hollow legs? And I, and I get that now because I'm trying to figure out where all this food goes. But he'll often, he'll often look at my food. He'll maybe look at the size of my portion, and he'll be like, how come you get a bigger size than I do? And then that's when I usually look him up and down. I'd be like, 
I'm like five times your size, that's why, buddy. I'm five times your size. You weigh 50 pounds and I weigh more than that, okay? Um, and, but, 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 he's, but he says this, how can I, but you, how, how can I, or how can you, and I can't? You know, how come I have to, but you don't have to? Or how come you can, but, but I can't? And he says these questions to me all the time, and I often say, well, I'm the daddy. <laughs> I'm the daddy. I'm bigger than you. I'm an adult. You're a child. You're six, or to, to my other son, you're four. You know, I own this house. It's my house, right? It's my money. I can do what I want. And this is one's my favorite, because I said so. My parents used to say that to me all the time, and I love it. There's no reasoning other than because I said so. You know, Jesus in this text that we were looking at was asked a question by some people. How come John's disciples are fasting? And how come the Pharisees' disciples are fasting, but yours are not? How come that's happening over there, but yours are not? How come we're doing this, but yours are not? Jesus, why are ours always fasting, but yours are always eating? What's up with that? Now let me just bring you up to speed in case you uh, missed last week. So Jesus, last, last week we looked at Jesus, just met a guy named Levi Matthew, a tax collector. Tax collectors were hated people. They were, they were greedy. They were, they were um, uh, liars. They were cheats. And Levi was a tax collector, and he's sitting at a tax collector's booth. And Jesus comes by. He sees him. He counters him, looks at him, says, listen, quit your job. Shut the business down. Come follow me, be my disciple, and do what I do. So Levi, what does he do? He gets up, he shuts down the business, he follows after Jesus, he's ready for the life change, he's ready for the fresh start. Now he throws this big, big farewell party, he invites all of his buddies, all of his friends, more tax collectors, right, sinners, these are the people that he spent time with, these are people that were in his sphere of influence, and he invites them to come and meet the guy that's changed his life, that's given him a fresh start. Now Jesus being Jesus, he accepts the invitation and he sits down to eat a meal with these, with these people, with these sinners, building friendships. And what this does is this rustles the feathers of the Pharisees. It rustles the feathers of the religious people. And they look at Jesus and they look at Jesus' disciples and they say, why is he eating with sinners and tax collectors? And Jesus says something that's probably the most profound statement in the book of Mark. He says, because I didn't come for the self-righteous, but I came for sinners. I came for broken. I, I came for people that need salvation. So he's at this party and he's feasting. He's feasting. Now, in the, in the Mosaic law, the law that Moses had given the people of, of Israel in the Old Testament, it required that, that God's people, the Israelites, would only fast once a year. Once a year, they had to perform a fast on the Day of Atonement. But, but for the really religious guys, this wasn't enough, right? For the religious, the, the teachers of the law, the scribes, uh, the Pharisee groups, um, they, that wasn't enough. And so they began to add to that. They, they established many rules and, and many traditions. It's what they did all the time. If, if this was the fence, what they would do is they would build a fence right beside it because they, then they don't get too close to this fence. But then they'd build another fence, you know, another rule, another tradition so they wouldn't get too close to the other fence that they built. And they had all these rules and all these traditions um, um, of, uh, that they'd follow. And often you'll see throughout the, the Gospels is when they encounter Jesus, they'll say, how come you are not following the traditions of the, of the elders? So fasting for them wasn't, once a year wasn't good enough because if you were really serious, right, if, if you were really a person of God, you needed to fast more. 
You need to fast more. So they began to fast twice a week, on Mondays and on Thursdays. And on one of those days, this is where Jesus is sitting down with Levi and his friends, and they are feasting. So John's disciples are fasting. The Pharisees' disciples are fasting. But Jesus and his disciples, man, they're eating up a storm. They're partying. They're having a big, big dinner. Now, fasting, in case you don't know, fasting is where we lay aside um, any pleasurable or vital activity for a period of time in order to intensely focus in on God, right? It's where we intentionally deny ourselves of a basic human need so that we can focus and align our heart on, on God. We deny our flesh to gain a response from the Spirit. You know, we fast from time to time. You may fast from time to time. I don't know if you've ever been on a fast and you watch someone who's not fasting. It's hard. Right? It's difficult. So why, why are, are we fasting and you're eating? That's what they're, what they're asking. Why are, why are John's disciples and why are the Pharisees' disciples, they're fasting, but why are yours eating? Now Jesus, if you know anything about Jesus, he often did not follow the pattern. Jesus often did not follow the tradition. He didn't follow the established method. He didn't just do it, and he didn't train his disciples that way just because everybody was doing it. He wants to train his disciples, but unlike the others, he wants to train them differently. Right? The other religious teachers, John's disciples, John and, and uh, the Pharisees, they were training their disciples to fast with the saints, but Jesus is training his disciples to feast with sinners. It's almost like he's trying to teach them about priorities, that first and foremost, you need to understand that it's people over things. It's people, it's souls, it's salvation over man-made traditions. Reaching people is more important to Jesus than following traditions. And I think for some of us, that might be a hard pill to swallow, right? Reaching people, loving people, people whose souls need saving is more important to Jesus than following rules and regulations designed by man. Why are you fasting? Why are your disciples fasting? Why are you not fasting, sorry? Why, why are your disciples eating? Now, that's, that's a little bit of a loaded question. I think there's a little bit beyond that. I don't know if you've ever had someone ask you a question, but you know there's something, something else there, and you try to read between the lines. And sometimes you don't even need to read between the lines because it's almost like they're telling you um, pretty obviously. Why are you not fasting with the saints? Don't all real men of God fast at least twice a week? Otherwise, they're going to be powerless and ineffective. Why are you feasting with sinners? Aren't you just approving of their lifestyle by doing so? Aren't they just going to keep on sinning now because you sat down and ate a meal with them? Why aren't you following the established program? Why aren't you doing what we're doing? Why aren't you doing what's always been done? By doing what you're doing, aren't you making it too easy for your disciples? Isn't it too easy for them? See, they thought that Jesus was trying to change the traditions and the customs. And so by asking that question, which to me is loaded, and I think there's more behind it, by asking that question, they are resisting change. How many of you find change hard? You can raise your hand, but I won't see it. (laughs) How many of us find change hard? Change is so hard. It's difficult but it is necessary in life. You know, change is the only constant in life. Whether you perceive it or not, 
Things are changing all around you all the time. The weather, the environment, our economy, technology, society, culture, our bodies, your family, your friends, everything. And embracing change means welcoming growth. Embracing change means welcoming growth. I heard someone put it this way once, and I thought this was so powerful. It stuck with me for a long time. Healthy things grow. Healthy things grow. We know that. You've planted a garden probably this spring. Some of you, you know, some of you are farmers. Healthy things grow. Children, when they're healthy, they grow. But growing things change. You see that as as growth happens in, in vegetation. Growing things change. For us, so change forces us to trust God. Trusting in God leads to obedience, and obedience makes you healthy. But that brings us back to healthy things grow. Let me repeat this. Growing things change. But change requires that we trust in God. But trusting in God leads to obedience. And obedience makes us healthy. Everett Rogers, he was a theorist and sociologist in the 1960s. He originated the diffusion of innovation theory, which was the rate that new ideas um, and technology spread and people adopt change. Now, he came up with with five ways that people respond to change. And I just want to see if you identify with any of these. Five ways that people uh, respond to change. Number one are the early innovators. This makes up of uh, 2.5% of people. These are the people that they'll run with change, right? They'll, they'll take on the new innovation. They're willing to take risks. They're the first to adopt, uh, adopt the innovation, the change. Next, there's the group called the, the early adapters. This makes up about 13.5%, so a larger number. They're the second fastest, fastest group to adapt to change. Once they understand it, they'll get on board. And these people are usually highly influenced by the, by the early innovators. The next group is the early majority. This makes up about 34% of of people. They're a little bit slower to the adoption process. Usually, um, they'll get on board after a degree of time. Um, As they see more and more people embracing change, they're going to follow the crowd and they're going to get on board. Following that group, there's the late majority. This makes up about another 34%. They'll get on board with change, with innovation, but they're going to do it reluctantly. Right? They may get on board, but they're going to be unhappy, and they're probably going to complain a little bit about it. They'll adopt change after the average mem- member of society has adopted change. And then the final group makes up 16% of the population, and they're called the laggards. Laggards. They're antagonistic when it comes to change. When change is introduced, these uh, individuals typically have an aversion to it or aversion to people who like change. They tend to be focused on traditions. So you have the early innovators, first group. You have the early adapters, the early majority, the late majority, and the laggards. And I'm betting that some of you, as you listen to that, you identified with one of those groups. The reality is change is hard for us. Change is hard. And Jesus understood this. In Luke chapter 5, in Luke's version of this story, he said this. This is what Jesus said. He said, and no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. And I think what Jesus is saying is that change is hard and often people are not willing to change. So in response to this question, how come you're not fasting 
Jesus gives three answers. The first answer that Jesus gives, he says the bridegroom doesn't expect his friends to fast at a wedding. Because a wedding is a time of celebration. It's a time of feasting. I don't know if you've ever been to a wedding where there wasn't food. That's what we all look forward to weddings. Yes, people are getting married, but we want the food. We want to eat because it's usually good. Jesus is saying, why? Because I'm the bridegroom. That's why. This is a time to celebrate. It's not a time to fast. It's a time to to party. Uh, I'm here. But a time will come when I'm taken. And in that time, that is when people, my disciples, are going to fast. Right now they don't. But a time is coming when they will. What is he saying? He's saying that my disciples are going to be sensitive to the seasons. My disciples are going to be sensitive to what God is doing in in the times, in each time. See, you don't approach the new season with things that were appropriate for the old season, but not appropriate for the new. Right? You don't approach the new season with things that were appropriate for the old season, but not appropriate for the new And this is hard because all of us like to say things like, well, we used to do this and it worked really well, right? But it's a different time. Jesus is saying this is a new time. It's not a time to fast. It's a time to celebrate. It's a time of joy. It's a time of of feasting. But a time will come when my disciples fast. So as people, we need to be sensitive to the times, and we need to be sensitive to what God is doing in each season, and we need to, to tune our ears and, and be open, not holding so tightly to the things of the past, not holding so tightly to the things we've done, not holding so tightly to tradition, but holding tightly to the person of Jesus. You want to know the only constant in life? That is Jesus. Your life is going to change. Circumstances are going to change. Church is going to change. It's changed. And the constant is not the tradition, the constant is not the method, the constant is not how you've always conducted your life, the constant is the person of Jesus. So we hold tightly to Jesus because if we're not careful, it becomes about the tradition. It it becomes about what we're doing and what we've always done and not what the Lord is doing and and who he is. Second thing that Jesus responds to this, he says, you don't take a new garment and cut a piece off and attach it to an old garment. Because what's going to happen is that, that, that new garment is going to tear the old garment when it, when it shrinks. And then the whole thing's going to be, going to be garbage. You know, I remember a, a day when, when I was a kid when ripped jeans weren't the cool thing. Right? I know some of you think it's not cool now, but, but ripped jeans weren't the cool thing. Patches on jeans were actually the cool thing. And I remember as a, as a I don't know how old I was, maybe a, an early teenager, I would actually sew on patches over my ripped jeans. And these jeans were ripped naturally, just so you know. But I would sew on patches onto these ripped jeans, and I would sew patches onto areas that didn't even need a patch, but I just knew that patches were cool. The thing was is I knew nothing about clothing, and I knew nothing about patching, and I knew nothing about new garments and old garments, and so when I washed it all, it just ruined my jeans completely, and then I had nothing to wear. Um, These two things are not compatible, Jesus is saying. The, The new patch and the old garment. See, when the new is not compatible with the old, then it's best not to try and patch the old because you end up making things worse, right? When the new is not compatible with the old, it's best not to try to patch the old and make the old work because you end up making things worse. Now, depending on what kind of person we are when it comes to change will depend on the difficulty we have with something like this, right? Too often we are attached to what was, 
Too often we are attached to what was, and so we try to attach, attach it to the new. The, the only changes that we're willing to accept in life are the changes that we can add to our old framework and method. But sometimes it doesn't make things better, it just makes things worse. When God wants to do something new, and when the new is not compatible with what is old, then we don't try to join the two together and make it work because then we end up destroying all of it. Instead, we embrace the new that God is trying to do. What new thing is God trying to do in your life? What new thing is God trying to do in your life, but you are holding on to something in the past? Embracing change means welcoming growth. It's not easy, it's hard, it's difficult, but embracing change welcomes growth. We don't always as a church do stuff that other churches are doing. We don't always as a church do stuff that, that in the past has worked because sometimes it's like trying to, to fit the old and the new together. And sometimes it's incompatible and it doesn't work. So as a church and as a people, we need to be sensitive to the times and we need to be sensitive enough to when the old has served its purpose and when the new is incompatible with the old. And when that is the case, we look at the old and we thank God for the purpose it served and then we welcome and embrace the new. Now, Jesus in this story, he's actually referring to the Old Testament law. He's referring to, to Judaism. It had served its purpose. It had guided the nation. It had revealed sin. It had pointed to, to the need for a Savior. But now the Savior was here. God was here. Grace was here. So the law was incompatible. You know, the new was defined by relationship and, and characterized by grace, by, by forgiveness, that sinners would be forgiven by grace apart from the uh, works of the law. You know, I, I just want to throw myself under the bus for a second, and maybe I'm going to eat my words after I say this, but many of you know I have tattoos, and I have had many people say to me, well, you know, in the Old Testament, it says something about tattoos, and I usually say, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's, it's, it's in there, but that law is incompatible with the new. There are a lot of laws in the Old Testament that are incompatible and that we do not follow anymore. There are a lot of laws that we still do follow. There are a lot of laws that are compatible. So let me just walk you through very briefly, right? National laws in the Old Testament that govern the nation of Israel are no longer compatible because we are no longer guided as a nation. We're guided as a church body. We are bound by faith, right? We are all brothers and sisters. We're all part of the family God under not the nation of Israel, but under faith. Ceremonial laws are no longer compatible. Right? We, know, we don't need to lo no longer offer animal sacrifices and, and aroma sacrifices to the Lord because Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. Moral laws in the Old Testament are still compatible. It is still wrong to murder. That's what the Old Testament says, right? Ten Commandments, thou shalt not murder. All of the law is useful for teaching and, and training and righteousness, and we take the principles. But in the New, in the New Testament, under Jesus, under grace, we're not bound to the letter of the law, but to grace. And the new way of grace in Jesus was completely incompatible with the old way characterized by rituals and laws. And that's what he's trying to say to these people. And so Jesus, knowing that the two didn't fit together, wasn't going to allow the old to keep people from the new. In order to make progress, they had to let go of what was. We don't let traditions and we don't let habits and we don't let what we've always done keep us from making the steps, uh, taking the steps that are going to help us move forward in our faith. 
Now, I think sometimes what holds us back from moving forward is we are holding on to something that is old and not embracing the new. We're holding on to an old pattern of life, a pattern of sin, and not embracing the grace in Jesus. We're not allowing ourselves to be completely transformed by Jesus. The last thing that Jesus uh, uses to answer these, these people is he says, no one takes new wine and puts it into old wineskins. Now, back then, wine bottles were made of animal skins, sheep, goat, ox. And when new wine, when it ferments, it releases uh, gases and it begins to expand. Now, after a time, the animal skin would become brittle and it could, it could rupture very easily. So new wine put into old wineskins, when it would ferment, it would burst open the wineskin. So old wineskins weren't strong enough. New wineskins were strong enough to stretch without bursting. They had the capacity to be flexible, to stretch in order to accommodate the fermentation process, right? The, the change in the wine properties. But the old wineskins, they had already gone through that process maybe a number of times. They'd been stretched, they've expanded before, and so they couldn't do it anymore. Their shape was fixed. They had no more elasticity. And if you put wine in those old wineskins, they would just be destroyed. If you want to introduce new wine, you got to put it in a new wineskin because the new wineskin had the structure to accommodate the fermentation process, the change. God, I believe, is doing something new. I think he's doing something new in your life. I think he's doing something new in Parkway's life. I think he's doing something new in the life of church. The time has changed. Is the old wineskin compatible and capable of handling the new wine? Is the way we've done things capable of handling the expansion of the new wine? You know, when we start to meet physically back together, church is not going to look the same. I'm excited for it. I'm looking forward to it. But the chairs are going to be set up differently. We're going to have an in and out flow. You know, there's not going to be much socializing at all in the building because we have to have these measures and structures in place. It's a new season. It's a new time. Does the old wineskin fit? A lot of us are having difficulty with online services. I get it. It's difficult. It's hard. It's not the same. But this is what we got right now. This is what we have. Is the old wine fit with the new? The new wine doesn't fit in the old. If it does, if we put it in there, it explodes. So what does this mean for us all? We need to become like new wineskins. We need to become like new wineskins. Parkway needs to become a new wineskin. This is part of the reason why we're not rushing to get back open. It's because we want to make sure we have the structure in place and we don't burst because we don't have the proper structure in place. We're going to be careful. But not only Parkway, but you and I need to become a new wineskin. Are, are you going to have the capacity to stretch with the new things that God is doing in church, in our season, and in you as a person? Are you going to have the capacity to adapt? Do you have the capacity to experience what God is doing? Or are you set in your ways? Are you set in your framework? Because if that is your attitude, then you've allowed yourself to become an old wineskin. You've allowed yourself to be among the percentage of people that refuse to change. And instead of being a facilitator of what God wants to do in and through your life and in and through the life of church, you become a hindrance to the kingdom of God. Jesus is modeling change. He's modeling adaptation. He's requiring it. He's teaching it to his disciples because the other disciples, they were fasting. Why are ours fasting and yours are not? Because it's a new time. 
It's a new time, and they're being sensitive to the times. And the new is not compatible with the old. And the new requires wineskin that is capable of expanding and moving with the change. Embracing change means welcoming growth. In the kingdom of God, if you're going to be fruitful and productive, then you don't want to be an old wineskin. You want to be a new wineskin. Now here's the other side to that coin, especially to those of us that are, that are new to faith or returning to faith. Becoming a follower of Jesus is a whole new way of life. It's not just a new teaching that you throw into the mix. It's not something you just add to your plate on Sundays. It's not something you just do on the sidelines, but it's a completely whole new way of life. And that whole new way of life replaces your old way of life. Because the, the new way in Jesus is incompatible with the old way. The new you cannot be mixed with the old you of sin. The old clothing of sin cannot be mended. You can't just patch your life with a, with a Jesus patch. Right? He needs to change all of you. The old wineskin of sin cannot hold the new wineskin of grace in Jesus. There are things that you need to, as a person, say goodbye to if you're going to follow the way of Jesus. It doesn't work. And maybe you're feeling the tension because you're trying to be filled with Jesus, but you're still holding on to your old way of life. And so the fermentation process is happening. It's trying to expand. God's trying to work in you. And you're feeling that tension. You're feeling the tug. You're feeling the pull. It's, it's, it's time you say goodbye to the old way of life. The Bible says that we put off the old and we put on the new. We become a new wineskin and allow the grace of God to transform us. Or what will happen is we will explode under the pressure of change. I believe God wants to work in every single one of our lives. It doesn't matter how new you are to faith or how old you are to faith, how long you've been walking with the Lord, how long you've been in church, or how new you are. I believe God wants to do something new and fresh in your life regardless of your age. Regardless of how long and how, how many seasons you've been a part of. It doesn't matter if you've, if you've been through so much change. God can make you into a new wineskin. How? Let me tell you how. Is you no longer hold to the traditions and the methods and the ways of others, but you hold tightly to the person of Jesus. Because Jesus is the only constant. Change is going to happen. Change is going to occur. But if we want to be a new wineskin, we don't hold to the, to the old way of doing things, to those traditions, to those rituals. We hold tightly to our relationship with Jesus. Listen, I want you to be open to what God is doing in this season of church. But more importantly, I want you to be open to what God is doing in and through your life. Maybe it's time that you start trusting and holding on to Him and not the, the thing, the way of doing things, the past whatever it may be for you. Listen, I want to pray for you today before we go. I want to pray for you, those of you that are, that are wrestling with this, but I think all of us, you know, there's going to come a season where, where we're faced with this a little bit more than, than other times, and we need to be sensitive to the times and ready to do what God wants us to do. So would you bow your head with me as we just pray um, and close today? Lord, I just thank you for, for your goodness, and I thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your love. You are a great God. Lord, we glorify you, we praise you. Thank you for the word. Thank you that you've revealed truth, you've revealed wisdom, and Lord, your word is there to guide us and to lead us, Lord. And so I pray in Jesus' name as we look to this today, God, that you'd speak clearly to our hearts. Lord, I know that as I share, I say this all the time, you can speak directly to someone else with what's going on in their life. Lord, all of us need to become new wineskins. 
All of us need to hold tightly to who you are and not just to the tradition or ritual or our past or whatever it may be, but God, we need to look to the time, be sensitive to the new things you're doing. So you know everybody that's tuning in today. You know everyone that's listening to this, God. Maybe somebody is, is, is struggling right now. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would just minister and I pray you give them the strength to adapt, to embrace the change that needs to happen in order to, to welcome growth, Father. I believe, God, that regardless of our age, regardless of our demographic, regardless of how long we've served you, that in us is the capacity to expand and to grow and to embrace, Lord, the new things that you're doing because your spirit is in us. The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, the same spirit that worked through the early church, the same spirit that worked through prophets of the Old Testament, the same spirit that hovered over the waters of the earth. You've been throughout time and now you exist in us. So what is in us is the capacity to, to adapt to the th new things you're doing. So give us the grace, give us the guidance, Lord. And as a church, as we, as we prepare to, to open and physically, Lord, we just pray for wisdom. We pray for guidance. We pray that you just direct us, Lord. We long for the day that we can meet together. But until we do, God, I pray you bless every single one of our people, Lord. Bless everyone that's tuning in today, Lord. And above all, we pray that you're glorified, Lord. We love you so much. In the name of Jesus, amen. Listen, thanks for tuning in today. I'm glad you're with us. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.